coming up this week on Breaking Badness. Today we discuss how sleep deprivation isn't the only thing attacking your machine's memory, an update on APT27 titled The Ghost in the Shell, and our unresolved issues with DNS tunneling attacks. Breaking Badness is next. Welcome to Breaking Badness, episode number four. Uh, we recorded this episode on March 4th, 2019. I'm your co-host, Kelsey LaBelle, self-proclaimed word play pundit. And um, with me co-host, Emily Hacker, who has at different points been called advanced, persistent, and a threat. Last but not least, sadly, Tim Helming won't be joining us today. He's at that small, that small little conference. What is it? What is it? RS? What is, what is, hmm. Arrest me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. Yes. So we, we've got a lot we have uh, on the, the old agenda today. <laughs> the old agenda. Apparently we need Tim to, uh. We need, Tim pulls us together. Yeah. Tim. like a pair of curtains and Tim just <laughs> pulls us on right together. <laughs> He is the curtain knob that holds us together. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, Tim. We miss you, Tim. Um, yes, yeah, so we, we have four articles we're discussing today. Three topics. Mm-hmm. Um, the first one is uh, named here, Sleep Deprivation Isn't the Only Thing Attacking Your Machine's Memory. And so we'll be um, focusing on how incredible that title is, obviously. Yes. That is the point important. of this uh, podcast, actually, <laughs> is just to talk about the title. What's the sound of me patting myself on the back? I don't know. If add that to the sound it. machine. <laughs> um, add that to the sound machine. Um, but So we're going to talk about two different articles, specifically using PowerShell and DMA attacks. Um, and so there's some similarities between those types of attacks. Um, so we'll start with PowerShell. So I'd love to just open up the conversation by asking you, Emily, if you can give us some insight into the article written by folks over at IBM regarding the, regarding the shift from threat actors' use of malware to scripts like PowerShell to inflict damage. Sure. So as you mentioned, IBM just released their X-Force report, and one of the findings that they had was that in 2018, over half, 57% of attacks that they observed actually didn't use malware at all and instead used tools like PowerShell and PSExec in order to execute in memory without actually touching the file systems or, you know, barely touching them. Once they're on the system, they can actually use PowerShell to do a lot of things that they would use malware to do. So they can steal information, they can steal passwords, they can even mine for cryptocurrency, all just using, you know, tools like PowerShell and running scripts in there so that it's kind of harder for, um, you know, socks to detect. Um, they did actually note, which I felt was kind of interesting, was that most of the time that they did see malware being used in attack was an APT group, which means that the PowerShell-based attacks are actually being used more by, you know, cybercrime or lower-level groups, which I, I found that to be pretty interesting. That is, that is interesting to, um, to hear that APT groups are not leveraging PowerShell, and it's more like the low-level, like you said, cybercrime. Um, so moving on to the second article, though, regarding DMA or direct memory attacks. Um, so along the same lines here of where the damage is being inflicted to the memory, 
Can you explain what these DMA attacks are and potentially walk us through actually this thunderclap example that we're referencing here in the blog post and in the, the podcast itself? Yeah, definitely. So a DMA attack is a direct memory access attack, and it's basically when a threat actor can plug in a malicious device uh, such as a external memory card or something into a Thunderbolt 3 or USB-C port. <clears throat> so if you are currently at RSA, which many of you may be, Definitely take vendors up on those free USB. Definitely. Yeah. That's There's my There's nothing that can go wrong, I think, nothing. when you plug a mysterious USB in. Um, but <clears throat> So Thunderclap, in particular, is actually a new class of vulnerability that is affecting all major OSs. So that's, you know, Windows, Mac OS, Linux. And it is allowing attackers to buy past the protections that have been in place against these DMA attacks. Um, what's exciting about this is that it is a named vulnerability, Thunderclap. We haven't had a named vulnerability, I feel like, in a little while. And you know that those always get spun up quite a bit. So it's Thunderclap. <laughs> I feel like the first time I read this, I was definitely hoping it was a reference to Thunderstruck. I'll be yeah. honest with you. I did pull up some ACDC on YouTube to listen to as I read the article. It makes it a lot more exciting. It does. I feel like if you have some like really powerful background music going on. And mm -hmm. that's why mm -hmm. it's very exciting to have a named vulnerability because you can listen to music like Thunderstruck and feel empowered. Empowered. <laughs> Maybe we don't want to share that publicly. <laughs> Go out and do some hacking. Do some hacking. This hack sponsored by ACDC, <laughs> Thunderstruck. <laughs> so more importantly, how do, you, how do you protect yourself against these types of attacks, whether it be PowerShell or DMA? Um, they sound much more intrusive and much more direct, honestly. So what can you do, to again, to protect yourself? Well, for the PowerShell ones, there's a couple of things you can do to protect yourself. One of the first things you can do is require your scripts to be digitally signed. Um, in addition, upgrading to the latest version of PowerShell is pretty important because it used to be significantly less secure. And in addition, you have to make sure that you disable the ability to downgrade or the opposite of upgrade. Um, because I guess PowerShell has that built-in where once you get mm -hmm. on the box, you can actually like downgrade an upgraded PowerShell version back to a, a more uh, vulnerable one. But you can have that turned off. Could one write a PowerShell script in which you could automatically upgrade somebody that chose to downgrade. Most likely, <laughs> yes, actually. So Put it's a like a PowerShell loop or something. Yes, PowerShell um, Inception. Powerception. <laughs> There's probably some kind of tool out there called that <laughs> to use PowerShell for nefarious purposes. Yes. Um, what else can you do? You can definitely apply the principle of least privilege to PowerShell usage, so making sure that you restrict who has access to run certain PowerShell commands, and you can do that by using PowerShell-constrained PowerShell language. And, of course, there's always just making sure you're logging and reviewing logs um, from a monitoring perspective, which can be overwhelming. Logs are numerous, but that's one of the best ways with PowerShell that you're going to be able to identify an attack that is already occurring. For Thunderclap, right now a lot of the major hardware and software vendors have released uh, patches. So... It's important to go ahead and update. That's not going to protect you against all DMA attacks, but it'll certainly reduce your threat landscape by cutting out this particular vulnerability. So that's the main protection against that right now. Sounds like a good place to start, that's for sure. Okay, so with all this in mind, before we wrap up this discussion, 
What is your overall hoodie rating for the PowerShell and DMA attacks like the ones we feature in these articles? That's a good question. I think this one's actually a little difficult because I think that though similar because they both run in memory, they're pretty different. PowerShell attacks in general, I would bump up a little higher, maybe around a five. And the But the Thunderclap and the DMA attacks, I would actually put a little bit lower just because it requires physical access, as I understand it. So it really significantly reduces your attack vector if, if you have to have physical access to a machine. But PowerShell, um, if I had to average out between the two, probably around a four or a five, just because this is a common attack vector and it's something that is a little more difficult to protect against than just your, your normal malicious file, uh, like malware. That makes sense. Some fair averaging to yeah. see there. Perhaps we'll go for a 4.5 hoodies. There we go. We won't have to round to the nearest integer. I think we can have some fun with that. Good. Especially with Tim out. 4.372. Right, yeah. Ooh. Ooh. Okay. Well, let me write that. <laughs> I don't know why you fake typed. You could have really typed. <laughs> I could have really typed. <laughs> <laughs> well, that in mind, let's transition then to our second discussion, um, which is uh, where are they now, if you will? Where is APT27? Like those terrible listicles you run across. China, it China. turns out. <laughs> <laughs> Which is also known as Bronze Union. Lots yes, of and Emissary names. Panda. It has a lot of fun names. Mm, the pandas. The pandas. <laughs> this is a threat actor group that's been around for a few years, I think since 2013. Um, but the reason it's back in the news is because SecureWorks recently um, released an article stating that they have, within the last year or so, seen that... This group, ABT27, has been updating their tool set. So some of the tools that they use are publicly available remote access Trojans, RATs, and they're not even new ones. But the versions that uh, SecureWorks identified being used by this group within the last year had updated pieces of code. So, for example, they use ZX Shell. And this is where security tech, like being working in security is fun because a lot of these words I usually read to myself and don't pronounce out loud. So let's just hope I'm pronouncing these all right. <laughs> but um, they use ZX Shell. And one of the things that they've noticed in the last year is that it's been embedded in HTRAN, which is a packet redirection tool. And it's had certificates that are signed by a group that can indicate um, APC27 te- or activity. They also use Ghost Rat, um, but they've updated it to make it more challenging for security tools to detect. And they also use SysUpdate. And they've noticed this being deployed with RTF, like .RTFs. Hmm. And so what they're, what SecureWorks is saying, which I agree with, is that this could be indicative of delivery via phishing emails. So there's just three kind of updates that they've noticed with this group. Aside from that, this group is mainly known for using, you know, native tools and services once they're on the machine. They're also known to target political groups and technology manufacturing and humanitarian organizations. And I'm not sure that's changed, but it seems like they have narrowed the focus of those organizations within recent attacks to organizations within Turkey. So that is something to note. Um, Emissary Panda obviously is highly likely associated with China. So there's some potential espionage shenanigans Some shenanigans going on there that will be interesting to watch yeah. over the coming months and years. Keep an eye out for that APT. 
It won't be using PowerShell anytime soon, though. Apparently not, according <laughs> to uh, IBM. So. <laughs> We're holding you to it, IBM. <laughs> this is on you. Okay, so, <laughs> Emily, I know how much you love APT groups. So, at the risk of asking you how many hoodies you would rate this particular resurgence, if you will, um, for the update, the ghost in the shell, what, what is the score you would, or the number of hoodies you would associate with this particular attack? I'm going to say, again, around a four, or f- I'm going to go with four. I always tend to, like, I don't know why I weasel between a couple of hoodies, but, like, I'm just going to go with a four just because it doesn't really seem like much has happened yet. You know, it's like the the oncoming storm, like Doctor Who or something, but nothing has actually happened. It's interesting to watch them update the, their tool set, and it's interesting to watch them narrow their targeting, but until something has really happened and we get more of an insight into what they're trying to do and what their goals are, I think the hoodie rating can stay down below the five, you know, halfway Threshold. Mark. Yeah. Are we going to have to start making, like, halter hoodies, specifically for these half hoodies? I think so. The be- yeah. belly button hoodie? Yeah. Or have you ever seen, like, one of those hoodies with no sleeves? I don't really understand the point Ooh. of that. Yes, yes. I do not understand for what purpose one would have that. Just to keep your torso warm, I guess. <laughs> Who doesn't need a warmed torso? That's my question of the day. For our listeners, <laughs> a nice warmed torso. Um, this this segues quite nicely into our unresolved issues. <laughs> dot 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 with DNS tunneling attacks. <laughs> oh my goodness! So there was a recent study of of newly observed host names and DNS tunneling in the wild. I love that we use that in InfoSec. In the wild. In the wild. It really yes. is exciting. It makes me think of a forest. I Can we do, a, like, a Nat Geo InfoSec edition? And now the hackers are putting on their black gloves and ski masks in the summer. It makes no sense. But they have the halter hoodies. They have sleeveless hoodies. Sleeveless all hoodies. They, but sleeveless hoodies plus fingerless gloves and a balaclava. <laughs> it's the fashion of the future. Yes, get, on, get on board. Well, they'll be laughing. Soon. Who will? Everybody else? <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> no, the threat actors. Oh, okay. The laugh at us were being like, they didn't know this is a la mode. You know, this is the new Vogue and we'll be over here like, oh. <laughs> we'll be here with freezing torsos. Yeah. We'll be. Oh, they'll be laughing at us then. Um, <laughs> so, back on track. The study itself <laughs> included analysis of over 2 billion host names over two months. So the source data came from our friends over at Farsight Security's DNS DNDB. Um, so they focus on the old FQDNs, or fully qualified domain names. And they were being resolved for the very first time. Very first time. <laughs> should be playing that music in the background as it happened. <laughs> this is another uh, musical segment, apparently. This we is. had ACDC, now we have... Potentially Madonna, what were you just singing? Yes. Okay. I think so. We'll get back to you on that. I think it is. <laughs> so, Emily, I love how I phrased this. Would you be comfortable? <laughs> I did like that. I saw that. <laughs> Trying to be very inclusive in my language. Would you be more comfortable sharing uh, more about exactly what DNS tunneling is? I would find great comfort in that. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> Perfect. <clears throat> DNS tunneling is a method of cyber attack where an attacker can basically hide information or payloads within a DNS query. So that might be, um, you know, exfiltrated information. It might be 
C2 information, but it, they hide it within a DNS query in order to avoid detection and get around firewalls and, and other nefarious purposes. Mm, nefarious purposes. That sounds <laughs> like it would belong in your uh, Nat Geo yes. special. Yes, it would indeed. Uh, that makes a lot of sense as to why threat actors might use that. Um, and we were discussing this earlier, too. So DNS tunneling isn't actually the threat vector. It's basically a... Um, an add-on, if you yes, will. Yes, a nice, a nice add-on. A nice add-on. Aftermarket add-on. Or Aftermarket, <laughs> yes. Um, so this this paper was. Thank you, Emily. By the way, for that description of DNS tunneling. You're welcome. Um, I saw the light at the end of the tunnel, if you will. <laughs> yeah, they did a phenomenal job in this paper of detailing exactly that. So we'd recommend that everybody take a look. Um, they focus on obviously how it affects. Um, how I should say threat actors are leveraging this type of attack for data exfiltration and C2 communication for malware. Um, They also mentioned some use cases here with a few APT groups. So Emily, can you provide a little bit more information on what they covered in the paper regarding these groups? Yeah, definitely. I saw them call out three uh, APT groups in particular. So it looks like Dynamite Panda and APT34, a.k.a. Oil Rig, um, have been known to use DNS tunneling in the past for C2. So Dynamite Panda is highly likely associated with China. Uh, oil Rig slash ABT34 is highly likely associated with Iran. And so this is, they're both pretty serious, you know, pretty dangerous APTs. And <clears throat> this is, DNS tunneling is a method they've used for C2 communication. Um, in addition, this report called out APT32, Ocean Lotus, which is uh, highly likely associated with Vietnam. And uh found at least four, it looked like, second-level do- second domains that were involved in DNS tunneling. Uh, for purposes unknown, perhaps, but um, definitely using DNS tunneling in their TTP toolset. So we actually, Emily and I, plugged uh, this domain in, and it appears that it's still active. It's still resolving. Um, so keep an eye out. Yeah, still activity that might be used currently. Well, and we'll, something to keep an eye out for. Yeah, keep all, both eyes out for. Two eyes. As two often eyes. as I can spare them. As often as <laughs> can I call Lord of the Rings on this podcast, or will we get in trouble for that? You can absolutely. Okay, good. <laughs> I do it a lot. <laughs> Thank you for diving into those APT use cases. It'll be curious. We'll be curious to see basically how that plays out over definitely, time. Definitely. Um, as of the study itself, there were three very key takeaways um, that we can go over here fairly quickly. So in the study itself, they found a small group of second-level domains responsible for a significant fraction of the total number of newly observed host names every day. So those three um, second-level domains that were responsible for that significant fraction were Google's AMP project, or AMP, um, and a DNS tunnel provider, and finally Spotify with some of their localized sites, which I thought was just I thought that was interesting. very interesting that Spotify was up on that list. It makes sense. Right. But it just, like, when I read it, I was like, hmm. Yes. Um, The second uh, key takeaway is they did, in fact, prove that it was possible to identify DNS tunneling um, by analyzing passive DNS data feeds. Um, So that's, you know, a pretty important takeaway. I'm glad for them that they were able to... (laughs) Validation. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And then finally, I think this is the most important and most actionable piece, um, which is to block any DNS requests of resource type null. So they are, according to the 
to the study itself, almost entirely DNS tunneling traffic mm-hmm. of the nefarious type. Variety. Variety, yeah. yes. Um, I know the other type that they mentioned that came up really frequently as well is just the text resource style. But, Which does um, have legitimate purposes as well. So yeah. So not as easy to just... Yeah, Lock. cut that off. Yeah. Just like we talked about enabling or disabling macros for Excel versus Microsoft Word, it sounds like null is a much more approachable mm-hmm. resource type uh, to cut off there with DNS traffic. Um, so, again, this is an, an interesting study. I'm curious. I, I, it's hard to do a hoodie rating, obviously, for this type of uh, report itself. But I guess for, let's just say generally, DNS tunneling attacks, what is your hoodie rating for this? It's a difficult question because it's so broad, mm-hmm. and um, but in general, at the risk of sounding like a broken record, I'm gonna have to go with about a four. Four? Yeah. Oh, who would have guessed? <laughs> <laughs> Just call me Emily Four Hoodies. Emily Four Hoodies. <laughs> That'll don't be call your me next that, introduction. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just again, I just feel like similar to what I was talking about before. It's just another method of attack. It's just another means, just like the PowerShell stuff. I mean that. Um, once threat actors are on your network, it's another means of exfiltration or whatever. So, because it's so broad, I'm gonna. I, I don't want to like bump it up too high. Because if I had a specific, if this was about a specific, like this occurred, they're targeting this people. You know, maybe then it would be easier to rate. But in general, I think industry wide, just around a four, it's dangerous. Keep an eye out for it, but don't necessarily like lose sleep and it, cry into your pillow about it. Cry elsewhere. <laughs> Cry anywhere but your pillow is fine. It's safe. And that is the low note in which we will end this week's podcast. Hope to see you next week. That's all for now. That's about all we have for this week. You can find us on Twitter at Domain Tools. All of the articles mentioned today will be included in our blog post, which can be found at blog.domaintools.com. Catch us every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific time when we publish our podcast and blog. That's it for this week. We'll see you again next week on another episode of Breaking Badness. Until then, remember, don't drink and click.